You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to the Quickie Junior, getting your family up to speed weekly. This week, we'll be talking about why heaps of us are catching the flu and consider whether soccer star Sam Kerr is the best Aussie athlete in the world right now. But first, we're going to find out about the Queen's Jubilee and just how much goes into throwing a massive party for royalty. Imagine getting out of bed and doing the same job for 70 years. That's what Queen Elizabeth has been doing. And this weekend, the people of the United Kingdom are throwing her a queen-sized party. The Platinum Jubilee, as it's known, celebrates her 70th year on the throne. Elizabeth was just 25 years old when she became queen back in February 1952, after her father, King George VI, sadly died in his sleep. She was never meant to be queen at all. Her uncle, King Edward VIII, had given up the throne to marry the woman he loved, passing the crown onto Elizabeth's father, and that left her as the next in line. Since she took over the job all those years ago, she's seen many changes in the world. She's worked with 14 different British Prime Ministers. Amazingly, four of her last five Prime Ministers hadn't even been born when she first became Queen. She's visited more than 100 countries. Though as the only person in the UK who doesn't have to own a passport, she hasn't got the stamps to prove it. On one trip, she visited 13 countries and her longest overseas tour went for six months. Her Majesty has had to attend more than 21,000 royal occasions, including being there at the opening of the Sydney Opera House in 1973. Someone worked out that she's greeted more than 1.5 million people over the years at her garden parties at Buckingham Palace. Her face has been printed on the coins of at least 33 countries, including ours here in Australia. Queen Elizabeth has owned more than 30 corgis, her favourite breed of dog, most of them were descended from her first ever corgi, Susan, a present given to her on her 18th birthday. So what goes into throwing a party for a Queen's 70th year on the throne? Madalena Mastro-Stefano is the Europe correspondent for Royal Central. She says it is a lot of planning. It takes so many people. For example, on Sunday the 5th, the whole bank holiday in the UK will conclude with a pageant and the royal court has actually uh, disclosed that more than 10,000 people will be involved in the pageant and of those 10,000 people 6,000 are volunteers so that figure alone gives an idea of how much planning and how many people it takes to put together a Platinum Jubilee celebration. I heard at that pageant Ed Sheeran is going to be performing and also that there will be corgi puppets as they tell the story of the Queen's reign. But I understand there's some very big names also going to be involved in the big party that's happening on Saturday night. Absolutely. There will be a giant concert, very much like the one in 2012 when Her Majesty celebrated her Diamond Jubilee. In front of Buckingham Palace, there will be a stage and artists that will include Queen and Adam Lambert, Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber, 
Sir Elton John, Sir Rod Stewart, Andrea Bocelli, Alicia Keys, Diana Ross. So it will be a multimedia music, theatre, opera uh, performance that will house some of the currently biggest names in the music industry. Now, I understand that before that party, one of the Queen's most favourite things will also happen because she'll be off to the races. Yes, uh, the Epsom Derby will take place that afternoon. But we are not actually, the public is not sure if the Queen will indeed attend the races because, let's face it, she's 96 and it will be a very long four days. So she will take things one day at a time. And the Epsom Derby is one of the things that she may have to miss if she's feeling too tired. Madalena, is there anyone who can compare to the reign of Queen Elizabeth? Are there other European royals who've celebrated platinum jubilees? Is she a standalone in this matter? I think so. I mean, she is still in third place for longest uh, reigning monarch ever. Both of her predecessors are actually deceased at the moment. So she is the currently longest serving monarch and by far. So I don't think in living history memory, there has been another monarch that has celebrated a platinum jubilee. I don't think there has been a sovereign that has celebrated a diamond jubilee. Some monarchs from the northern European monarchies like uh, Denmark and Sweden are getting close to celebrating. Uh, Queen Margrethe of Denmark is indeed celebrating this year her golden jubilee, meaning 50 years on the throne, meaning that when she became Queen of Denmark, Queen Elizabeth had already been Queen of the United Kingdom for 20 years already, which is insane to think about. All across the United Kingdom this weekend, there'll be big jubilee lunches and parties to help celebrate the 70th year of the Queen's service to the Commonwealth. Will you be doing anything special? Our government is. Australia is naming an island on Lake Burley Griffin in Canberra in her honour. From this weekend, it will be known as Queen Elizabeth II Island. Congratulations, Your Majesty. There aren't a lot of reasons to thank the COVID virus, but it's why for the past couple of years, a lot less of us Aussies have been catching the flu. The flu is short for the influenza virus, and even a mild dose can make you feel pretty unwell. Because of the pandemic, though, we've been isolating ourselves whenever we've felt sick, so people with other diseases haven't been coming into contact with as many other people. And because borders have been closed, no one was travelling as much and spreading around any viruses they might have had. This year is looking a bit different. We aren't in lockdown, we don't have to wear masks all the time and aren't socially distancing as much as we were. All this makes it a lot easier for the flu virus to pass from person to person. Dr Brad Mackay is a family doctor in Sydney. He says the flu season has started earlier than usual this year too. We normally have a bit more time to prepare. So normally we see an escalation of cases around the end of July, beginning of August. But the flu season this year has really skyrocketed really quickly. So this has been, we keep on using the word unprecedented all the time, but we haven't seen a flu season escalate this quickly previously in Australian history. That's also combined with a whole bunch of people, so the whole population, who really hasn't been exposed 
to influenza. We haven't been exposed to a whole bunch of other common cold viruses. And so this means that our immune system has kind of forgotten what to do. So it's even more important to really get that flu vaccine because otherwise we're very unprepared. Already this year in Australia, we've recorded about 40,000 cases of the flu, way more than the 538 cases that were in the whole of 2021. For most people over the age of five and under 65, getting the flu is a week or so of feeling a bit terrible before you recover from it. Like Lily, who's 10. She says catching the flu made her feel pretty gross. I felt rubbish when I had the flu. I was coughing so much. I was struggling to breathe. I'd like hyperventilate. I felt like really sick. Like I felt really cold and really hot. And I coughed so much that I like vomited everywhere in the night. I've had six days off school. Flew so much worse than COVID when I had it. Like I felt so much sicker with the flu. But for some people, it can be more dangerous. So kids under five, they will typically do pretty terribly with influenza. And those people who are over 65, so right at the other end, they'll also do terrible with influenza as well. People who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders have another respecter for having problems with influenza. Pregnant women, also their immune system is under the pump when you've got a baby on board. The vaccine is essentially free for those groups of people. We kind of want everybody to be immunised so we can reduce the amount of flu because it's just... It is going crazy and it is filling up our hospitals at the moment. So why aren't more of us going to get our flu jab if influenza is such a serious disease? Well, some people think it's because you can still catch the flu and get sick even if you've had the vaccine, so they don't think it's worked very well. I think some years people get the flu after having the flu vaccine and so they think it doesn't work or else they actually get a common cold and think that they've got influenza, but it's not influenza. We're kind of used to having the vaccine around. So it's like this old family friend and sometimes we might get a few side effects from it. A lot of people have sort of had the flu and they've survived it. That's great. But yeah, like I I think there is an element of complacency. And we've also gone through like a few years where everyone's been told to get COVID vaccines that everyone's now still forgetting that flu is around and that it can cause problems around the community. So getting the flu jab is the best way to avoid getting yourself and those around you sick this winter. But if you have any worries, speak to your doctor about what's best for you. Sports Wrap brought to you by Combank. From grassroots to the elite level, Combank is committed to supporting the game changers in women's sport and creating a brighter future for all. Sport is integral to the health and well-being of all Australians. Whether you're cheering for the star in your home or on the world stage. Combank is committed to supporting the game changers in sport. Combank has partnered with women's cricket for 23 years and through its support for Cricket Australia's Growing Cricket for Girls Fund has helped create more than 1,500 new teams across Australia. Combank is also a proud supporter of Football Australia. From the Mini Roos to the Matildas, they're committed to creating a brighter future for all. To find out more, visit combank.com.au forward slash sport. Matilda star and Commonwealth Bank ambassador Sam Kerr has been having some pretty big moments lately. Back in April, the Aussie soccer superstar was named the United Kingdom's Football Writers Player of the Year with a massive 70% of the votes. She also won the Golden Boot Award for scoring the most goals in the season. 
She scored 20 goals for her side Chelsea alone, including one whopper against Manchester United that was so good, it was named the FA Super League goal of the season. She volleyed that one in from 30 metres out when she wasn't even facing the goal. Legend. She actually scored two goals that day in a 4-2 victory that helped her club win the comp. Two days later, Sam scored two more goals to help Chelsea beat Manchester City 3-2 in the Women's FA Cup final. That match was played at Wembley, the world's most famous football stadium, in front of a record crowd of 49,000 people. Football's governing body, FIFA, thinks she's pretty good too. In January, they named her the second best soccer player in the world, just behind Alexia Patelis from Spain. So is Sam Kerr Australia's best athlete? Not just now, but maybe of all time? Taryn Heddo is a women's football analyst and contributor to the women's football podcast, The Massive Dub. She says Sam is just a standout on the field. Uh, she is just, she's just remarkable, isn't she? I mean, you go through her accolades this season, you know, she's WSL player of the season. She won the golden boot. 32 goals in all competitions, just domestically. That's not even including goals for the Matildas. And, you know, you look at when she scores those goals. So for Chelsea this season, they were in the FA Cup final, the League Cup final, and they also won their league. She scored goals in both of those cup finals and then two incredible volleys on the last day of the season against Manchester United, no less, to win them the league. She's a big game player. She steps up. She scores the important goals. She is just a remarkable player in every single way. Does that, you think, make Sam Kerr the best Australian athlete in the world right now? Do you think there's anyone who could even come close to her at this point? It's very tight. And do you know what? I was thinking about this. I don't think there's anyone that comes close on the world stage, what she does at the moment, playing for a team like Chelsea. You know, maybe Ash Barty, but of course Ash Barty's retired now. Um, in terms of international recognition and in terms of what they've done on on the world stage. Sam Kerr winning those international accolades with Chelsea is is huge. She's the top goal scorer of all time, men's or women's for Australia as well. So it is pretty remarkable. Maybe you can put someone like Ariane Titmus, who broke a world record in swimming recently. She's pretty dominant. But even in the world, you know, you think about world athletes at the moment, you know, you might look at a Serena Williams or maybe in the past a, a Katie Ledecky or someone like that. And, you know, they, they're getting on a bit. Sam Kerr's in the prime of her career at the moment. So fingers crossed that FIFA and other world organisations see how good she is uh, and give her those awards, the, the Ballon d'Or and the FIFA Best in the World to recognise how good she is because we know how good she is as an Australian, but hopefully the rest of the world is beginning to see that because they can't ignore her anymore. Sam Kerr has already secured legendary status in her sport, but her best may be yet to come, with some soccer players able to keep going well into their 30s and even 40s. This 28-year-old from Fremantle in WA has plenty left in the tank to keep those awards coming in. Sports Wrap, brought to you by Combank. From grassroots to the elite level, Combank is committed to supporting the game changers in women's sport and creating a brighter future for all. 
that's The Quickie Junior for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Tom Lyon and scripting assistance by Peter Green. We'll catch you next week. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.